0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Let's pray as we stand together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for your word, what mercies. uh, We do find there what endless glory, the glory of who you are, our God and King, the one of whom we have sung who will reign forever, uh, the one who holds all things in his hands, uh, the one who by his word made the heavens and the earth, the one who by his word gave us life and breath and everything else, and yet the one whose ambition, whose purpose in this world is to bring blessing to us. And so, Father, we pray as we hear you speak to us again now that you would cause us to be sure in our trust in your promises. And we pray this for your son's sake. Amen. Please take a seat. And uh, it's worth uh, turning in your Bibles to Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 20. As Tim said, I had very light week, just one verse. Uh, One verse, 11, verse 20, uh, which is page 1209 of the Church Bibles. But uh, as it turns out, we will be uh, heading back into uh, Genesis as we go along, because this one verse... Uh, actually tells a much larger story. So uh, at various points, I'll uh, direct you uh, back to Genesis, especially uh, the reading that uh, Rita read for us in Genesis 27. Now, if you were to write uh, the story of your life, you know, one of these, this is your life type things, if you were to write the story of your life, what would fill the pages? Uh, Would it be a big story uh, or more of a pamphlet? Uh, would it be an important story? Would uh, the story of your life be filled with the blessings of success and significance? Now, there are some whose stories are filled with those things, aren't there? These two weeks of the Olympics have contained great moments of success in the lives of some athletes. Uh, lives that will be filled uh, with stories of success. Now, some people's stories are impressive. Uh, Mo Farah, his story, Stop a Nation last night, stop them still. And how about you? Is your story as significant as his? It seems unlikely, doesn't it? Uh, for us, or at least for me, and I suspect for most of us, uh, life is, well, entirely unremarkable. Uh, but I think one of the joys of these Olympic Games is that you catch a glimpse, uh, even if just for a moment, of a bigger story that you are actually part of. Uh, The story of a people, the story of a nation, Team GB. Uh, Each athlete represents you. Each athlete is running for you. Their story is a shared one. You're allowed in on it. It was as if Mo Farah was running for you last night. And as he uh, spectacularly rounded that final bend and the sort of the tingles uh, surged up and down his spine, uh, one from his sheer exhaustion, but also from the thrill, that, that moment as he started to contemplate, you know, I think I've actually done it. Those same uh, surges of tingles up and down spines were being felt all around this country in homes, uh, all around Great Britain, uh, even uh, in Silver Birch Avenue where I live. My neighbour, a couple up from me, uh, came running down the street to bang on the window to celebrate with me. <laughs> so I had to quickly turn on the TV and... Uh, <laughs> pretend I was interested (laughs) sometimes uh, we catch a glimpse of a bigger story that we are part of and it's wonderful isn't it that surge of joy of being in on that moment now of course in a few hours time that story will be packed away consigned to history forever Uh, But tonight, uh, here in just uh, one verse in Hebrews 11, we are going to catch a glimpse of a moment that dares to suggest to each one of us tonight that we are indeed part of a much bigger story than we could have ever imagined. And to see this story is much, much bigger than anything that we've ever heard. And this story is not about to finish, it is just beginning. Each new chapter of this story is better than the one before, for this is the story of how our God is at work in this world, and we are in on that. If you flick to Hebrews 12, verse 1, you'll see there in that verse, which we've come back to again and again in this series, that uh, this chapter, Hebrews 11, that we're looking at together, is uh, filled with witnesses. That we are surrounded by this great crowd of witnesses, each of them witnessing to this story. The story of the relentless purposes of our God, the purpose to bring blessing to a world that's under curse. it's a story that fills all the pages of the Scripture. It's a story that fills all the time of human history. The story of humanity, who from the very start failed to trust God's word of promise, that he was committed to our good, that he wanted to bless us. And we didn't trust that. Now, we trusted ourselves more. And so, uh, right from the beginning, rather than embrace the blessing that trusting him would have brought us, now, the story of our world is a story of humanity embracing curse, embracing death, not life. But even there, right there at the beginning, God comes to, we're told in Genesis 12, one man, our one man, Abraham, who, well, his story all of a sudden got a lot bigger. God said to this one man, I'm going to bring about a reversal of all of this. I'm going to bring blessing to you and through you to all the peoples of the earth. And when God promises blessing, as he did to Abraham way back at the beginning, he's not talking about the weak concept that perhaps we have of blessing. Blessing is perhaps a a warm thought, a, a kind gesture, a brief success. No, when God speaks of blessing, it speaks of his permanent favor, his pleasure, directed towards us now, the blessing God brings is the reversal of the situation that our faithlessness has caused the blessing is that we can again become his people that we can again live with our God in his place at peace with him and one another God when he blesses blesses big now that's the story we're in on together And what Hebrews 11 has been showing us as we've looked at it uh, throughout this summer is the glorious purpose of God to bring about that blessing. And we've seen that purpose handed on generation after generation like a a relay baton until it reaches the final runner, Jesus Christ, who with his final breath on the cross shouts in victory, it is accomplished. He runs for us. And so all throughout Hebrews, and you see it there again in 12 verse 1, we're told to see this one, this final runner who actually achieved this. To see the relentless faithfulness of God, to, to bless us, to fix our eyes on Jesus who finally did it. Now my hope tonight as we look at this one verse together is that we will again catch a glimpse of this story of blessing that we have been swept up into. And that this will renew our sure and certain trust in our God and His goodness towards us. And so tonight, we're simply going to see that through a snapshot of the story of one man's leg in that race, Isaac. And it's there in Hebrews 11, verse 20. Let me read it again, it's simple. By faith, Isaac blessed his sons Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Now, what I want to do uh, briefly tonight is I want to show you three snapshots in Isaac's life Three opportunities that this one man had to express his sure trust in God's purposes. His certain trust that God would do just as he had promised. Now let me show you the first of them. It's uh, back in Genesis 21. It's worth flicking there. It's page 21. Uh, Genesis 21 on page 21. It is the very first moment in Isaac's life. It is his birth. Now here is Isaac's first moment to have this confidence in his God shaped. Now, as we turn to Genesis 21 and the, uh, the account of Isaac's birth, you might be thinking to yourself, now, hang on a minute. Uh, you're telling me about Isaac's faith in God. How can his birth, uh, the experience of his birth, be the moment when he came to trust God? Now, Most of us, uh, myself included, are fairly uh, unaware passengers in the moment of birth. We're not doing a lot. Other people are, but not us. Uh, But as I said earlier, the story of our birth is a much bigger story. Uh, One of the uh, habits that we've got into as a family is, um, uh, when it comes to the birthdays of our children, is to retell them something of the story of their birth, perhaps without the gory details, but something of the story. And so Jamie, our eldest daughter, it was her seventh birthday, Uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So once again, the stories were wheeled out, the stories of uh, what was a fairly simple birth. In fact, I was reading a newspaper during the labour, would you believe? It was quite an easy birth, from my perspective. (laughs) But almost the moment she came out, uh, the easiness stopped. Uh, For a week, which turned into a month, which turned into six months, she cried non-stop. (laughs) And so we tell her that every birthday, <laughs> just to remind her what we have gone through. <laughs> now, I reckon Isaac's birthday would have been filled with tales of the incredible occasion of his birth. He would know all about it. His birth was a miracle. His parents, were told in Genesis 21, were as good as dead when he was born. When he showed up, it was incredible. And Sarah, his mother, would have said, you know, I laughed when you were born. I laugh with joy, with, with amazement, with the praise for the God who is faithful. I didn't think He'd do it, didn't think He could, but He did. He was faithful to bless. Your birth tells that story, Isaac. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. But then His father would have joined in the storytelling and He would have said, Ah, oh, you know what? It's even bigger than that. Uh, You're in on a much bigger story, a much bigger miracle. Abraham would have said to him, son, you're the beginning of something very, very big that God has promised. He would have said, he promised to give me a family, a big family. And through that family, he was going to bless the entire world, Isaac. But there was no sign of you coming year after year passed, year after year. I grew fearful that this promise of blessing was, well, there was nothing to it but then he spoke to me again his word of promise and he made it even bigger he showed me the stars in the sky and he said that's how many children you're going to have Abraham he called me to trust him he said he was our shield and great reward and when you were born it was just as he promised just when he said it would happen and so Isaac get ready son you're going to have a big family you're going to need a big car. As we meet Isaac in Hebrews eleven twenty, 20, in, in the very last moments of his life, it is these first moments that would have shaped the course of his life, a, a life lived with the sure hope that God does as he promises. He will bring blessing. He will lead us to the place he has promised Isaac. Now, I put it to you, even in these first moments of Isaac's life, we have much to learn. You see, to live uh, faithlessly, without faith, is to think that my life is self-contained that it is about me that i am a self-created creature i am a self-important creature Uh, but clear-sighted faith knows that's not true we have a look at chapter 11 verse 3 you'll see that in the same way that the universe was made by the word of his command so was my life it's a miracle it's a gift i was made by god to enjoy the blessings of life that is incredible And clear-sighted faith sees that he has given me life to be part of this much bigger story. You and I were born to be swept up in this relentless story of God bringing blessing to all the peoples of the earth. You were born to enjoy a relationship with God. That is what it means to be blessed in life. Faith is being sure that the very reason you exist, a successful life, a significant life, is one that's caught up in those purposes. So there's the first snapshot. Let me show you the second one. It's on page 22, Genesis 22. It's not the birth of Isaac. It's the moment his life was demanded of him. And I reckon of all the moments in Isaac's life that demonstrated to him the faithfulness of his God and gave him the opportunity to trust that faithfulness, it was this, this single day on top of a hill. In Genesis 22, Isaac is Abraham's precious son, his only son, and God calls upon Abraham to demonstrate his confidence in God's promises to the very limit of that confidence. He says to Abraham, take your only son Isaac, the one you love, the one with whom, in whom you are well pleased, and sacrifice him on that hill. And as we saw this morning when we were looking at Abraham, uh, when we looked at him, we saw he did that very thing. Abraham was confident that God would do as he had promised to provide a way to bring blessing even through the death of his son Abraham was confident that there must be more to this story than the death of his son there must be resurrection but Abraham wasn't the only one tested on that hill Isaac was too now can you imagine that moment walking up the hill with his father whom he loved and trusted completely to offer a sacrifice to God no doubt they would have done it many times before but this time, as they're walking up the hill, the penny would have dropped. And he says it in Genesis 22, Dad, haven't we forgotten something? The fire is here, the wood is here, but where's the lamb? Isaac trusts his father. But he wants a word to assure him, where is the lamb, father? And what his father does is very simple. He tells Isaac to fix his eyes on their heavenly father. God himself will provide something. A sacrifice is needed. Everything is pointing to Isaac's life being taken. But Isaac is told, trust the God who has promised to bless you. God himself will provide the lamb. And at just the right time, he did. Uh, We're told in Genesis 22, a ram appears in the thicket and takes Isaac's place in the sacrifice. And so much does this moment, this moment of God's faithfulness, uh, shape them that they rename this hill simply this: "The Lord provides." That hill was a place that God demonstrated that He was trustworthy, and Abraham and Isaac demonstrated their trust in that. It would have been a moment burnt into his psyche. And as he comes to the end of his life here in Hebrews eleven twenty, 20 we need to know that Isaac is a man who knows that his life was shaped by the moment that his life was saved at the cost of another. Opening the path of blessing to him there had been no way but God had provided at just the right time to save his life just as he said he would And again, as we see the witness of Isaac's faith here, how much more should we be sure of God's promise to bless? If you're a Christian tonight, your life is a testimony to the relentless purposes of God to provide one in your place so that you would be blessed. On another hill, Calvary. Sure and certain faith is formed by fixing your eyes on Jesus on that hill in your place Uh, Just as Abraham took the wood and placed it on his son on that hill, uh, John 19 tells us that by his father's will, Jesus carried the wood of the cross up the hill to be in your place. And do you see that? The witness of God's faithfulness to bless you hanging on the cross. This cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11 are all saying to you, the Lord brings blessing. Do you see how he's done it? Trust him, they say, see the baton pass along the line until this one, your Jesus, walks up that hill in your place, not for one but for all. That moment that another stood in his place would have been vivid in Isaac's memory, it would have shaped his life, his faith, but I suspect for us that all too often we stand at a distance from the cross. That moment for us, it is not as vivid or important. It's an idea that we've got used to, a truth that we assented to at some point. Now, of course it is that. But it is more than that. It is true history, your history, an event that you were involved in. It is as the Negro spiritual asks, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? Of course you were. And it should, as they say, cause you to tremble. Certain faith in God's constant purpose to bless us is forged by seeing and trembling before the one who walked up that hill for you. None came to take his place, none could, for he was there for us. And we should simply call that hill the place the Lord provided. And we weren't on that hill as innocents, we were there as sinners, as those who have been given this blessing of life as a gift and snatched it lived it utterly disconnected from the one who gave it, the one who gives life and breath and everything else, and we cut ourselves off from him. But to cut yourself off from the author of life is to cut yourself off from life itself. And so in the end, we live in a world where we die, where we will be raised from death to give an account before the one who gave us life. In the end, the sin of faithless living of living self-created, self-important lives, is to create a debt between God and us that we can't pay. But our witnesses in Hebrews 11 say this. Do you see what God has done? He has provided blessing in the place of curse. So look down this relay line of witnesses and see your witness, see your Jesus. May we be those whose faith is made sure by fixing our eyes on the one who, at just the right time, took our place on that hill. May we see in him the relentless purposes of God to bring blessing and trust him. Now here's one final snapshot for you, the very final moments really in Isaac's life. It's Genesis 27, it's page 28 of our Bibles. Now here in these last moments of Isaac's life, he again expresses his confidence in God's purposes, his sure confidence that God would deliver blessing even when there seemed no future. It's captured wonderfully. It's the same expression that all of these witnesses have had. Uh, have a look at Hebrews 11:13. You'll see this confidence. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Now, they did not receive these things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. Now, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country that they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has indeed prepared a city for them. Here is Isaac showing his confidence in that city to come. He's about to die, and he's doing what you'd expect him to do with that confidence, passing on the baton, this promised future. He's passing it on to his firstborn son, he joins these other witnesses in the firm conviction that nothing, not even death, can separate him and his descendants from this promise of being God's people in God's place. He's a dying man with a simple plan bless my firstborn, pass the baton on to my son, do you see it there? Esau. But there's the problem. It seems a simple plan. But you see, soon after Rebekah conceived uh, of Esau and Jacob, these twin boys, Isaac's sons, God had made his purposes very clear. God had declared these purposes to bless, but instead of Esau, the older son, being the path that that blessing would head down, it would be Jacob, the younger. The older would serve the younger, Rebekah and Isaac were told. Isaac knows this. Now consider this, Isaac knows that promise and he knows God's faithfulness from his own life right from the very first moment. But here in the last moments of his life, do you see what he does? He decides to second-guess God. He thinks he's got a better plan. And so in Genesis 27 verse 1 we're told this, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, I am now an old man and I don't know the day of my death. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may, give it, I may give you my blessing before I die. Isaac is sure this is the way to go. Yes, this blessing will carry on down his descendants but God surely must have got it wrong. Surely it is Esau that it will go through. Esau is strong, he is responsible at least in Isaac's eyes and he loves him more. Surely, if it's going to carry all the way down the generations, this strong man Esau is the one to do it. And so Esau goes off to prepare the meal in anticipation of this blessing that is to come to him. And while that's happening, Rebekah hears this plan and she and Jacob hatch their own plan to trick the now blind Isaac to give the blessing to Jacob instead. It's a very murky page in the story, isn't it? And no one comes out well. But in the mess of these sort of false motives and favoritism and lies and unfaithfulness, uh, we see again these relentless purpose of God to bless prevail, just as he said. It's a scene, I think, that should cause us to become sure of God's faithfulness to his purposes, to line ourselves up with them. But as we move towards a close, uh, take a look with me at this scene one last time and see two distinct responses to this faithfulness of God firstly have a look at Esau's response when he finds out what has happened he thought he was going to get this blessing but he's missed out it's a tragic scene isn't it well what's important to know though about Esau is that he's already shown he is unwilling to trust God's purposes to prevail uh, earlier in his story, he sold, we're told, his birthright, his place in this line of blessing for a bowl of soup. And his reason well, it was simple. He couldn't see how God could be faithful. He was about to die. All he had was the here and now. What use was a future blessing, a, a distant hope? And so he sold it for a bowl of chicken mulligatawny He refused to do what the others in this witness line had done, to look beyond death to this better country to the fulfilment of this blessing. And so he enjoyed the blessings of life here and now. He held tight to them, but to this future hope loosely. And I reckon here's the challenge for us. Is that us? Are we fixed not on the here and now, but on our future hope, or are we like Esau? Is your hope in this better country to come, being with your God in his place, that he has promised? Or is this place, this country, this land good enough? Uh, This land tonight resplendent in Olympic glory as it is. Is this a good enough heaven, London 2012? The story of Esau is of a man who clung to this cheaper prize as the relentless race of God's blessing passed him by. It is as a a band from the 1990s, a band called Pearl Jam uh, uh, wrote in a song called Nothing Man of a man who had everything and lost it all. They simply said this, a man who caught a bolt of lightning and cursed the day he let it go. That's Esau. He had it all. He had this blessing, this promise, and he, he let it go. And so the picture of Esau in Genesis 27 is of sobbing regret. Bless me too, Father, bless me passed him by Uh, but here's the tragedy in Isaac's response to his beg for blessing there is hope hope of just that of still even now at this last moment being in on this blessing Uh, Esau is told if if now you would line yourself up with Jacob if you would throw your lot in with Jacob who is the one who will carry this blessing on if you stick with him uh, the blessing will be yours too But if you grow restless, if you unbind yourself from him, you'll lose it all. Well, by the end of Genesis 28, he's done just that. Deliberately and decisively, let it all go. Caught a bolt of lightning, cursed the day he let it go. Brothers and sisters, the only way to inherit the blessing of God is to line yourself up with the one who carries that blessing for you, and that is our Jesus. Finally, though, and briefly see Isaac, see his response. This man who tried to second-guess God's purposes, and when he sees God prevail, even with uh, all his plans, we see in Genesis 27, he is shaken to the core. He sees this faithful God. He tried to detour those purposes of God, send them down a different path through Esau, but here at last, in his dying moments, he sees again this relentless purpose to bless, and he sees it, and he submits. He says to Esau, Jacob will be blessed, he will be blessed, that's the way it is. He sees how God works, even through Jacob, who is, uh, let's be honest, as the story goes on, a scoundrel. The story of God's relentless purpose to bless is a gracious one. Isaac knew it in his own life and now he sees it in his youngest son, whom God gives this firstborn blessing to. And so Isaac, by faith, blesses Jacob in regard to his future and our future. Isaac says, you, Jacob, will carry the blessing of the firstborn, this future blessing, this death-proof blessing. Isaac is completely confident that God will do as he has promised. And as we look on, how much more should we be? As we look on at this promise passed down the line until it reaches our champion, the promise-fulfiller, Jesus and so as I finish, let me say this simply, what Genesis uh, Hebrews 12, 1 says, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the very word of God's purpose, the word of his promise made flesh. He is the son, the firstborn son, on whom the very blessing, the very favour of God rests forever. This is my son, he said, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. But he is the firstborn who left the blessing of being with his Father to come to the cross. He is the blessed firstborn who became a curse for us so that we could have his blessing. So fix your eyes on him. Fix your lives on him. Line yourself up with him, as Esau was told to do. When you stand aligned with Christ, hidden in him, you find yourself part of his story. He runs for you and that far more than Mo Farah should send tingles up and down your spine, for you are in the very path of God's eternal blessing. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for this great cloud of witnesses Uh, We thank you, Father, for the faithfulness that each one shows confident in your purposes. And we thank you for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, Cause us to fix our eyes on him. Amen.